Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a global law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We also connect domestic and international law firms for international legal issues. At ALRPRA, we help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Our primary activities are law firm public relations, marketing, and credentialing. We also offer a wide variety of practice management services to help you with all the back-end businesses of managing a law firm. Today's guests are attorney Sahar Aziz, who is a principal of the law office of Sahar F. Aziz. She is a civil rights attorney of Egyptian descent and an adjunct professor of national security law and civil rights at Georgetown University Law Center. She is also a legal fellow at the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding. Ms. Aziz's practice focuses on immigration, employment, and civil rights matters. Ms. Aziz also advises nonprofit organizations in developing effective strategies and programs to achieve their institutional objectives. A website you can find more information at is www.saharazizlaw.com, S-A-H-A-R-A-Z-A-Z-I-Z-Law.com. We also want to let you know that we have another guest on the show today, uh, Mr. Amar Gohar from the Al Arabi News in London. will also be here to cover some of the recent events going on in Egypt. Again, this is a follow-up show to our initial broadcast last Friday. We do have a great show for you this morning, and we invite your caller questions either by email directly at nick, N-I-C-K, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line, or please call in by dialing 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the caller queue. And again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your specific facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship, and if you need further legal assistance, please consult with an attorney in your area. This program is politically neutral, and objective counterpoints to views expressed on this show are always welcomed. ALRPRA Incorporated does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Before we get going today, I want to start with an announcement. The international software technology law firm of Marcus Stephen Harris, LLC, presents their next software licensing webinar on February 15, 2011. Negotiating software licenses is a complicated process that takes knowledge and skill. Changing technology and new methods for software development and delivery have changed the game. The consequences of getting it wrong can be severe. This webinar will focus on understanding software licenses, their legal background, and how to maximize your rights while minimizing your risks during the negotiation process. For more information about Marcus Stephen Harris, LLC, please visit mshtechlaw.com. Again, mshtechlaw.com. 
techlaw.com. And if you'd like to attend the webinar, you can find a link on the law firm's blog publications tab. Additionally, as ALRPRA is promoting this event, you can email me for more information. My email is nick, N-I-C-K, at ALRPRA.com. Thanks again for passing on this information about these events. Now, today we want to focus on our subject matter, which is, and I'll give you a brief background, on January 18, 2011, a young Egyptian woman recorded her video on YouTube, then shared it with the world on Facebook, proclaiming, we just want our human rights and nothing else. Attorney Sahar Aziz will offer a follow-up on recent events from Egypt, and Mr. Amar Gohar from Al-Arabi News will also offer accounts of recent government action and the people's response to the crackdown on journalists and more. We also have some Egyptian-American call-in guests we expect to hear from during the program. Today's topics we're going to discuss include, one, government crackdown on Egyptian and foreign journalists, two, ongoing negotiations between the regime and pro-democracy groups, three, the role of the youth in the negotiations and protests, four, the role of Egyptian women in the revolution, five, immediate legal changes required for a free and fair election, six, potential leaders and the transition period, and seventh, the impact of whale um, Gonames' speech after his release, and eighth, continued imprisonment of over 500 democracy activists, finally, American response to Egyptian revolution. So without further ado, Sahir, are you on the line? It looks like we had... Yes, hi, Mr. Nick. This is Amr Gohar. I'm from an Arabic newspaper, and actually it's an Egyptian newspaper. Oh, it's an Egyptian newspaper. Okay. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing? It looks like uh, Sahar dropped off the line. She'll be back in a moment. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've been experiencing? Yeah, the point is, let me explain what's going on now in Egypt in the streets now. There are about 10 million people in the streets between Cairo and uh, other districts in in Egypt. So uh, the main uh, people right now in El Tahrir Square, and they are trying to surrounding the... uh, TV radio building, uh, and also they're going to surround the president house. Uh, it's like eight miles from El Tahrir Square. Uh, in Alexandria, they are like uh, 500,000, and they are, uh, you know, to demonstrate against um, uh, Mubarak after his third speech because, as you <coughs> know, he moved some of his power um, uh, to. Uh, uh, Vice President Omar Suleiman, and the point is, people is against Omar Suleiman because Omar Suleiman is part from the old regime. Uh, so we expect a huge news uh, today from Egypt because, as I said, like 10 million now in the street. That's an incredible. That's incredible amount of people in one area I saw on the news there was a vehicle leaving the square and it appeared to have run over a few people that were in the way and they kept going finally dragged an individual out of the car did you see that footage uh yeah yeah I follow the news all the time you know we can't sleep because um I work here I'm a correspondent for for my newspaper in DC but I can't sleep because you know there is like 7 hour different time from uh uh, Egypt and the states, so you know I follow the news every second because I'm worried also about uh, about my people, my family, because part of my family was under arrest uh, since um, the revolution started in Egypt. But 
Now they release them, but they are in the street demonstrate against the regime. So, yeah, I follow the news um, every single second, yeah. Now, would you say your family was under arrest? Was that because you're a journalist? Uh, um, I, actually, my uncle, he is um, uh, a journalist in, in Egypt, and he is well-known. He is uh, uh, you know, a big writer in Egypt, uh, and for sure he is against the regime, as you know, as all Egyptians now. Um, so he was under arrest. Um, my uncle and my uh, uh, my cousin too. Yeah. Sahar, I see you're on the line. Um, your comments. Hi. Yes. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Um, well, the situation, as I had predicted last week, has been completely unpredictable. And so every day, uh, one doesn't know what to anticipate with the next. There were a few days last week where it appeared that it was going to teeter out and that the Mubarak regime was engaging in this war of attrition where they had contained the protesters in Tahrir Square and tried to minimize the number of people that were there and turn it into almost this pro forma uh non-demonstration, non-starter, and have the people just sit there while everyone else continued with their life to make them irrelevant. And that clearly did not work. I think what's remarkable about what's happening now, just as as Amr stated, is it has, one, spread beyond Tahrir, so it's spread throughout Cairo, which is a very significant development. Two, it is spread throughout the country. There were already protests across the country, but not at the same magnitude that they were in Cairo and Alexandria. And now they are very large and very uh, serious all over the country. It's also spread into labor protests. Uh, people in the Suez Canal employees have started to strike. Transportation employees have started to strike. So I think it's fair to say that the country has become paralyzed as far as it being able to function, which then forces the government, whoever that is at this point, because as you can, as many of us saw in Mubarak's speech yesterday, it was very confusing to figure out what exactly he was doing. But it has made it where the protesters can no longer be neglected or ignored. And in that regard, from a, from a tactical perspective, they succeeded um, in in preventing the regime from minimizing and dismissing them. So now the the question is, what is next, and what is the army going to do? Because I have spoken to many of my colleagues and contacts in Egypt over the week, and it's clear that there is a divide within the army, and that uh, there is a perhaps the younger generation is much more. Uh, supportive of the people and supportive of a complete overhaul of the system, whereas the older guard that is presumably in in control of the army at, the, at this moment, or of the military, is more inclined to um, engage in incremental change and perhaps allow Suleiman, for example, to be the transitional leader and to... Uh, conduct this uh, transition in a more piecemeal and perhaps superficial way. But I think we have now extended beyond that tipping point. Everyone was talking about a tipping point the last two days, and I think it's been tipped. And I, it appears that the regime has very, very little negotiating power now because it is literally facing 10, 20 million people, which short of a mass genocide – uh, there's really no way to stop them at this point except for uh, listening to their demands. 
And I've, one of the things that I've noticed uh, watching the coverage from my end also is that some of the correspondents from the state broadcast stations are stepping down. Mr. Goard, have you, um, what is the word on the street with some of the journalists, um, well, and the broadcast journalists who have uh, resigned from their spots on the TV? Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah. Really, the situation in, in, in Egypt now are um, very bad. It's not just with the Egyptian people, it's with everybody against the regime. So uh, also too many journal journalists in, in Egypt, they was under arrest, uh, you know, from time to time. They send like a people to force them to stop work, uh, as we all see the, um, uh, last week. Do we expect them to, do we expect the regime or the government to uh, put blockades on the Internet again? Uh, I don't think so because uh, till now people um, um, uh, from Egypt online, so I can communicate with my newspaper, I can communicate with my friends, I can communicate with my family. So till now, um, um, uh, you know, there is internet in Egypt. We do have a caller on the line from California who is an Egyptian uh, native caller. I, I, if you could go ahead and tell me, have you been able to get through to your family? Uh, yes. Uh, hi, this is Mataz Gerges. Uh, I'm an attorney in California from Egypt. Yes, I was able to get a hold of my family. Everybody seems to be okay. And uh, actually, there are some rumors. I, I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, there are rumors that uh, Mubarak has actually left uh, Cairo and he's in Sharm el-Sheikh uh, that was in El Arabiya. So hopefully, you know, he's sitting now, does your family live in, where does your family live in the neighborhoods, uh, outlying or in the city? I was just curious as to the, it looks like we lost our caller. We're going to pause for our first commercial break and then be right back with our second follow-up story on the conflict in Egypt. Our first commercial, com first commercial break comes from the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching Searching for the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help with your advertising copy review. Get in touch with Nancy today by visiting nkdlaw.com. Another quick announcement by Mary Erlane. Mary Erlane works to help professionals learn the skill of connecting the dots and removing barriers. On March 15, 2011, from 8 to 9.30 a.m., Mary will conduct a hands-on Leadership for Women workshop for women rainmakers and leaders in business. This event will be held at the large border at ALRPRA's office at 35 East Wacker Drive in Chicago, and ALRPRA is sponsoring your registration fees, making this a free event. Come by and enjoy a light breakfast and enjoy this pragmatic and acclaimed leadership workshop. Space is limited, so please register today by emailing nick at ALRPRA.com with women rainmakers and business leaders in the subject line if you'd like to reserve your complimentary seat for this workshop. ALRPRA Incorporated is a small is a Chamber's executive suites tenant, and we thank the Chamber's 
Executive Suites for co-sponsoring this event. Now back to our Law Talk Radio program. We do encourage our listeners to call in with any questions. Please dial 917-889-9732. Press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. And also, comments and suggestions can be submitted through the comment section at ALRPRA.com. A note to our callers, if you are listening to the show through the Internet, please turn your speakers down when you call in so that we can avoid feedback. Now back to our program, uh, Mr. Mr. Mer- in California, uh, I was just asking, you dropped off the line shortly, if your family you were talking to was in the cities or out in the outlying neighborhoods. Uh, actually, uh, my family is in Cairo, and uh, they're doing okay. They're, you know, they're not uh, having much food, or it's very difficult to get food or, uh, or any of the necessities of life. But other than that, they seem okay. They're all hopeful for a change. Now, Sahar, if you could tell us about some of the what information, or Mr. Gohar, information about food shortages um, and other shortages. We heard about a little about about that last time. Have there been any new developments? Well, I've, based on my conversations with my family, it's actually gotten a little bit better. That is as of two days ago. So I'm not sure what, what the situation is today, given the millions of people that are out in the street that. Uh, are not working, and so there. I think the economy has been affected much more as the protests grow. But my understanding is that there has been a resupply of at least the basic goods. Prices are certainly going up. And one thing that has significantly impacted access to food is that public safety has actually increased, which is quite remarkable. Just to give you a brief history of what happened was so when the when the protests started, as you saw first, it was. Uh, the police hit really hard, and there were there was tear gas, rubber bullets, live bullets. Then they completely withdrew from the streets in order to uh, cause some mayhem and fear among the people so that they would beg for Mubarak to stay and keep them safe, and also so that they would have to stay home to protect their neighborhoods since the police was no longer out in the street, and that would prevent them from protesting. So that was part of the objective, but it failed. But interestingly, as we discussed last week, the um, the community watch groups stepped in, and it's, it, my my family there and my relatives have told me that, in fact, it has created this phenomenal sense of community and that now everybody knows every neighbor and they share food and they've become extremely communal and complete, com, extremely supportive of each other. And those who are not watching will go protest and then come back and switch with them so they can still keep their neighborhood safe but they can continue to contribute to the protest. So it's quite a fascinating uh, phenomenon. But going back to food, so that because the public safety has, in fact, increased unexpectedly, people then feel safer to go and buy food, which was a problem where they were, even if the food was there, they were scared to actually go out to purchase it. And it also uh, creates more safety for the supplies to go to the stores and there's a lot less looting. The criminals are still out on the street, but there are perhaps 30,000 is the estimate I've heard, which is obviously not a small number, but you also have, again, these millions of people who are watching their neighborhoods, checking IDs, and ensuring that those criminals do not uh, wreak havoc in their, in their own neighborhoods. What is going on with the 
communication uh, with the people out in the street and people in the neighborhood securing and things are going well and that's wonderful. What do they know or what information is being shared with them about the ongoing negotiations between the regime and the pro-democracy groups? Well, my understanding, and I'll let Armour supplement this, is that they are getting all of their news from BBC and CNN and Al Jazeera. Nobody watches the state news anymore. Perhaps now they might start a little bit, at least relying on it a little bit more because of what you stated before, is that many of the of the reporters have either resigned or have refused to follow orders and have started to report accurately about what's happening. But most of their communication, or my understanding is they're getting it from uh, satellite channels and many of the the same sources that we in the United States rely on. And this has certainly contributed to the expansion of the revolution because the regime has just simply been unable to brainwash the people and to fool them into creating a reality that, that doesn't exist. And so that I think that contributes significantly to this continued failure of one tactic after another to stop this revolution from from succeeding. And Amr, you may have some more insight into this. Um, um, if you are talking about media, uh, we all know that media in Egypt it's like under control of the government. But there is some, you know, private newspapers and some private channel, but they are still under, uh, uh, you know, uh, the government because from time to time they are try to push them down to don't say this, say that, don't say this, say that. So the situation now, the media, is, I can tell it's under control. But the free media, it's uh, it's online and it's, uh, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on you know, be able to exchange email, emails from time to time to, you know, because um, if you are talking about uh, there is um, a good guy called Wael Ghunem, he was under arrest for 10 days and uh, he, he is, uh, uh, you know, all his uh, idea of, through the Facebook, so this is like Facebook revolutions and people don't care anymore about uh, the governmental media. I will tell you, this has been a remarkable opportunity for people to understand the power of social media and the power of grassroots movements and the power of people sharing information and ideas. And I'm so impressed by the level of uh, people sharing things on Facebook, the the level of tr inherent trusted um, comments on videos. I don't see um, negative comments or, or or people saying anything inappropriate. I've been very impressed. I have several um, several people in the Middle East are on my Facebook, and they've shared many things that I've been very impressed by. And again, one of the things that we've highlighted before has been the role of the youth and women in this movement. Uh, does anyone have a comment on that? Next, this is Melanie. Go ahead. Hi, um, Professor Aziz. I think I met you last time on the broadcast. I'm a domestic relations attorney here in Chicago and I'm and fascinated, um, as Nick said, by the the initiatives of the youth and the, the women in Egypt. My question, going back to access to information, and this is um, something that we also face in the U.S. in terms of reaching the immigrant population. I, I do a lot of work with domestic violence issues. Um, 
because so many of them don't access the Internet. Um, there are perhaps women, children who are illiterate and, or, you know, that, that may not um, read newspapers, whether they are in their own native language or obviously mainstream, probably they, they don't even pay attention to. So the question becomes, absent a crisis where the community comes together and starts talking uh, and, and distribution of videos where they wouldn't necessarily have to pick up a, a newspaper, how do you get the message to those who may not have access to these types of media? Well, are you talking about in the United States or in Egypt? Even in Egypt. For example, um, from what I understand, in the Quran, there are a lot of rights that women have that if they're illiterate or don't have access um, to, to the, the, the tenets or the philosophies that are written in the Quran, how would they be given this information to assert these rights? Right. Well, in Egypt, uh, as far as the protest is concerned, everybody pretty much has access to television. Even you'd be even those who are the poorest. I think that television and radio is in almost every household, and it's it's something that is a, a stark contrast to the poverty. Is that oftentimes you'll go to rural areas where it is quite poor, but there there are televisions there, even if it's communally used through extended families. So they, they certainly had access to at least to state television is based on my experiences. Amara can speak more about media in Egypt. But this revolution now has taken over the entire country. I think perhaps in the beginning it was limited to Cairo. It started there. It was limited to middle class, upper middle class youth. But it has become very evident as we've seen on television and as my conversations with family and friends have shown is this is now from has taken over the entire society where the poor have now come out and demanded their rights and the poor have realized and the illiterate have realized that they don't have to live this way and that they have grievances and that they're not scared to uh, communicate those grievances. And so I think that is a huge turning point that's occurred in the last two to three days, frankly. I don't think it was so much so in the first week. And to some extent that creates some concern because if if it gets so massive that even if the concessions are made by the government of what the demonstrators are, uh, want is that what will their will the new opposition and then transitional leaders assuming that they're legitimate and that they're not from the old guard will they be able to convince the entire population to be patient for the changes because, for example, if you want to increase uh, labor rights, which is certainly needed in Egypt, it's going to take some time. If you want to provide employment for youth, which is certainly needed, that's going to take time and major planning by the state. So I think that whoever is the new leader, and hopefully they will be someone who's democratically elected and competent and truly cares about the interests of the country, I think it will be a very, very difficult job because the people, and when I say the people, I mean the poor, the wealthy, the the Christians, the Muslims, the women and the men, have now very high expectations, as they should, of the type of life and the type of country they want, uh, but it is not going to be easy to implement. And that goes to another point, which is I think why it's very important to make sure that the new 
structure and the new system ensures that people from all classes, all religions, all genders um, are included in the process so that they see some, they see the improvement, they see the movement forward. I think if they become excluded from it, they will assume the worst and then you're going to have more unrest and more revolt uh, because they will assume that it's just different people functioning within the same dictatorial and authoritarian regime. So if we're thinking ahead, uh, the, the big challenge and the big question is how can you create the structures and the institutions and the rule of law to produce the democratic outcome that you want and how can you get the, all of the different types of people on board with the transitional process and then ultimately with the outcome. And then so how do they also get access and visibility in the media? And again, I come from India and what you mentioned last time, you can have charismatic leaders, uh, media savvy leaders who are very corrupt and oppressive and um, fool the people. There's oftentimes this, um, this glitz and glamour illusion that, that occurs. And so how how do you give the grassroots when it's so expensive and many of these media are either government-controlled or corporate-controlled or a little bit of money buys them? Um, do you have any thoughts as to how to increase access among the grassroots in your country or other countries, and even in the U.S., frankly, um, that, that's a, a problem. Well, obviously, if we're talking about Egypt, for example, you would want to have more subsidized, for example, Internet access uh, or ways for people to go to public spaces to access the Internet. You would need to make sure that the education system is of high quality, the public education system that teaches them to access new media. And as far as broadcast, it's already available. It's just a matter of, you know, do you have your tele- do you have a television? Can you afford a television? And it, dealing with illiteracy ultimately allows people to then read the newspapers and get their news. But that, but the core issue is that, for, or the first step, I should say, is that the media has to be accurate. That it has to be independent. It has to be free, and that is going to take democratic form. It's going to take legislative reform so that the government cannot, by law, suppress the media and cannot use the constitution or or some other concocted law to do so. So there, there are many steps, and I don't think that what I'm discussing is anything unique to Egypt. I mean, these are issues that you, the United States deals with to a different degree, and that other countries deal with. It's the the issue is how do you implement these universal principles in Egypt? Frankly, that's at this moment in time might be a little premature because first there needs to be a a, a shift in power. There needs to be uh, a, a resignation from the president, and there needs to be a new guard, a new set of leaders. And that actually brings me to a different point of a conversation I had with a young. Egyptian Egyptian who has a college degree and has not been able to find a job and but for the fact that his father has a small company was able to find some form of employment although it's not very lucrative and he was telling me that his generation will not accept a mere resignation of Mubarak they will not accept Omar Soleiman as a transitional leader they will not accept people who are older than 55 and he literally 
set an age range because he they are all convinced that this older generation has failed Egypt and that they do not understand the youth, they don't understand what they're experiencing and what they aspire to, and that he wants a completely new generation of leaders that are not in their 20s, obviously because of lack of experience, but people who are in their late 30s, in their 40s, maybe early 50s, who are new and fresh and uh, savvy and competent. So... It's it's it really has shifted from incremental reform to a complete overhaul of the political and economic system. Thank you so much for your comments. We're going to pause for a break, and after we come back, we're going to discuss a little bit more more about the immediate legal changes required for moving forward with the free and fair election as the people in Egypt work towards. Re, uh, reinstalling a government and uh, a new way of life. So we'll pause quickly for daily legal news. Today's daily legal news comes from the AMLAW Daily uh, from February 11, 2011, titled The AMLAW 100, KNL Gates Sees Profits, Revenues Rise. From the in from the legal intelligencer posted by Demetria Krasenides, K&L Gates continued a growth streak in 2010 with increases in both gross revenues and profits per partner. At $1.06 billion, gross revenue rose 2% in 2010. The increase was due to an uptick in work in several of the firm's practice areas, including litigation, intellectual property, litigation, regulatory work, and especially real estate. The firm chairman, Peter Callis, said, while the M&A practice showed some improvement, the turnaround in real estate was substantial, Kelly said. The firm closed out with 2000, 2010 with average profits per partner of $930,000. Average revenue per lawyer was $599,000. K&L Gates' total lawyer headcount increased just under 1% in 2010 to 1,763 attorneys. The, the, the equity partners here remained relatively flat, moving from 295 equity partners in 2009 to 294 in 2010. The non-equity tier increased one percent 3% and non-equity partners in the firm rose to 613. Editor's note is that the American lawyer has implemented a change in methodology for this year's AMLAW 100 and Second 100 survey, tracking full-time equivalent lawyers based on a December 31 cutoff date. For more of this story and more daily legal news, go to the AMLAW Daily. Now a commercial from Jim Clients of the Get Clients Now Network. Are you a solo practitioner or work in a small firm and want to get more clients now? If this sounds like you, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you should talk to. His name is Jim Thompson, and his program is called Get Clients Now. They'll help you take crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a recurring guest on our Law Talk radio program every first Thursday of the month. After retiring from a fulfilling career as a trial lawyer, Jim Thompson now focuses his time on helping other attorneys get more clients. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net. And also check out his testimonials on Facebook by searching Get Clients Now. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. 
Let us now go back to our programming, and let's remind our listeners, if they have any questions, you may call in at 917-889-9732, option one for the caller queue. Please also be kind to our listeners and mute uh, your phone when you are not speaking. Uh, we had just some uh, feedback there uh, from one of our callers, so let's be mindful of our audience. Again, please also share these broadcast links on your social network. Many people find out about these shows through their friends on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So we all thank you for your support in continuing this dialogue on Egypt and other topics that we bring you. Now back to our program, um, if we could uh, tackle the question of what needs to happen with legal changes that may be required for a free and fair election. Hi, Nick. Uh, I wanted to first give Amr an opportunity, because I know he has to leave soon, to discuss the missing activists and the missing journalists that the regime has been arresting over the past 10 days. Uh, Amr, are you still on the line? Okay, I think he might have left. Uh, I wanted to just bring that issue up, because I think it's something that's very important for us in America to be educated on and to uh, discuss with our government. And and I think we have an important role to play, as I have been getting many reports of activists who are being arrested and they're just disappearing, obviously, in all of this uh, excitement and uh, millions of people. It's it's easy for them to fall through the cracks and be sitting in some torture chamber somewhere. And even if they are released at some point in time, they will have suffered serious uh, harm, if not death. So... One thing that I think we all should be voicing our concerns with with the American government is that even though we should not or may not be in the proper position to directly intervene with the outcome of the revolution, and I can get to that later, we certainly have a very important responsibility to ensure that human rights are protected through this revolution and through this important historical transition. And, for example, our State Department and the White House and our diplomats should be making it very clear that it is absolutely unacceptable to engage, to violate people's human rights uh, during this historic moment. Um, And so I I just wanted to mention that because there are people that are missing and there are people who have been kidnapped along the lines of White Will Name who ultimately was released, but there's still hundreds of them in in just black zones or uh, black sites, for lack of a better term, and uh, I think it's our responsibility to ensure our government um, uses its leverage and uses its clout within the United Nations, the Security Council, and the international community to ensure that those people are released promptly. And my question is, what can citizens do to communicate with the government? You're, you're in Washington, D.C. Uh, tell us, uh, what, what types of actions can we take to voice our message to our leaders? Well, that's a great question. There is an organization called the Egyptian Association for Change that is, uh, you can Google that, and they have prepared many letters that can be emailed to elected officials and provide fax numbers and contact information. And I think it's what what we can do as Americans is what we have always done and what we are proud to do through our democratic process, which is to voice our opinions and our concerns to our elected officials and tell them that we hold them responsible and accountable for upholding human rights in Egypt everywhere, but specifically right now in Egypt, and that if they are on the House Committee for Foreign Relations or the Senate Committee for Foreign Relations or any other committee that has a jurisdiction over 
human rights or civil rights that they should be utilizing their positions to ensure that those rights are protected in Egypt and that the United States government is not complicit at worst or uh, dismissive at best about these about what's happening in in that regard so it's it's the usual process that we know reach out communicate to your elected officials to those who want to go to the media to highlight that uh you can get some of the information about the missing people online. But even if we don't have the specific details, the State Department should be able to find out or the government should use its resources to find out. I know Human Rights Watch recently issued a report about missing journalists, and they said that at least 150 people have been confirmed, and this was as of three days ago. So one can you can go to Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International. But the point is we as Americans have a very important role to play in making sure that our government does the right thing on human rights and that it is not you know the human rights issue just because there is some disagreement, and I think it's reasonable disagreement and it's fair disagreement as to whether the U.S. should be directly intervening in in the revolution, I don't think, in my opinion, there is any doubt that we should ensure that human rights are being preserved through this process. So, uh, I, I think that's to me, it's it's a non, it's a no-brainer, and it's it's also a way to show the rest of the world that we are genuinely interested in human rights, and as a people, we will hold our government accountable for the promises it makes and the rhetoric that it uses. Um, about where our country stands on human rights. Thank you for the comments, and, and thank you also for pointing out the Egyptian Association for Change. Um, again, there are so many resources out there and comments on uh, news articles. I strongly encourage those who find news articles of interest, whether you find them on your own uh, news sources or, or shared through social media pages, do leave your comments, share the information, continue and move the dialogue forward because those comments are read and, and taken to heart by by many. Um, moving forward, can we can we talk a little about? I'm interested in the election, and I want. I'm just curious, what is the prevailing thought as far as what needs to happen? Uh, certainly, control over you know civil unrest. You know, we need control over what's going on in the situation first. But as far as an election and the potential leaders to get us. Through or get them, everyone through this to the point of having an election. Uh, what do you forecast, and what needs to happen? Well, it's it's different than last week. I admit because things have changed significantly. Last week, I would have discussed Mubarak resigning, and then presumably Omar. Well, actually, I should go back. If he resigns, the Constitution, as it stands now, requires that the leader of the parliament become uh he's not technically he doesn't become the president but he then has the authority to call new elections which much must occur within 60 days of course the problem with that scenario is that the constitution will as it states as it stands now will guarantee that whoever becomes the president within that election will be someone from the Mubarak regime and that will continue the status quo so you've just switched one di- dictator for another and the uh, yeah, the the electoral process will not have changed. The other problem is that the head of parliament is notoriously corrupt. He's the head of the National Democratic Party, or he's a key player in it, and he's hated by many many Egyptians. 
And if he, for example, does not take that position for whatever reason he has health problems or, or, or something happens to him, then it would be the head of the Supreme Court of Egypt who, although the judicial structure or the judicial branch is perceived as relatively more independent, it is no longer as independent as it, as it used to be <coughs> Excuse me, because of some changes in the law that Mubarak made I believe it was in either 05 or 06, where he created what they call rotating judges, which are, so there's standing judges that are permanent, who have tenure, and they're relatively independent, relatively not corrupt. Uh, and then you have standing judges who he has essentially bolstered with police, former police and security officials, who are very corrupt and who adjudicate in the interest of the state. So that has diluted the independence of the judiciary. So that would have been the scenario, or that is a scenario if he were to resign today, and that in some is, is one of the reasons why some of the pro-reform prote- protesters or supporters in Egypt are very weary of him <coughs> excuse me, uh, resigning right now. And that's why there is some debate. The other scenario, which he just did, but the people are not uh, happy with it, is that he dele- he didn't resign, but he delegated all but almost all of his authority to the vice president, who then can amend the constitution, who can uh, call for new elections, who can uh, eliminate or um, uh, discharge the parliament so that there will be new elections. Although that particular power was not granted yesterday, that was something that was notable, that he did not grant him the authority to dissolve the parliament, but rather to re- have re-elections just for the 30% that, where there were official uh, complaints of electoral fraud. And that's not good enough for the people at this point. They want a complete dissolution of parliament in a brand new election process. So it's 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 a bit technical, but that's what these are the bureaucratic hurdles that I think the regime is purposely using to delay this process and for a while it was working but I think today and after Mubarak's speech yesterday things have taken a very different turn and it is they are no, I think they're going to be calling for a complete overhaul of the constitution immediately as opposed to just some basic amendments initially and then later a rehaul of the Constitution when there is a new parliament, a new president, I think they are going to challenge the status quo from A to Z, uh, which is a, going to be very interesting to see how this develops. And some people are very worried that the military may turn on the people, which would mean, in my opinion, hundreds of thousands of deaths. Not just hundreds, not thousands, but hundreds of thousands, because the people are out on the street. So the other scenario is perhaps that there will be a coup within the military that will then take control of the entire country because there is a deep divide now, and I think it's growing, as I stated before, between the the younger officers and the older officers. And, again, it all comes down to the military. So what what are they going to do? You know, One should be watching them very carefully because they really are the key players. What Suleiman does, what Mubarak does, what anyone, any other party does I think is irrelevant at this point. It's really what is the military going to do? And then the, the bigger question 
or the deeper question then is what's happening right now within the military, which of course is uh, opaque. Thank you for those comments. And I wanted to, you answered a question for me about a new constitution, and I appreciate that it does need to be significantly overhauled to bring about the change uh, demanded by many of the people involved in the conflict. We're going to pause for a quick break. For any of those who are turning in, you're listening to ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio. We're going to bring you some law practice management resources quickly and then our final commercial sponsor, then finish the, our show and uh, round out our last segment. So law practice management resources, first I want to turn you to the ababooks.org site. Again, www.ababooks.org. Org. Title is The ABA Spanish Legal Phrasebook. Accurate communication between professionals and clients is crucial. This is a particular concern when there are language and cultural differences. While many Spanish language phrasebooks are available, most are geared to the travel market. This book is designed specifically for professionals who need to communicate with Spanish speakers about U.S. law. The pocket size guide identifies common American legal phrases and concepts and provides accurate Spanish translations. The book is divided into sections based on substantive areas of law, including criminal law, family law, labor and employment law, personal injury, and medical malpractice, immigration, bankruptcy, business law, and in addition, a handy pr pronunciation guide m makes communication a breeze. Whether, you are, whether or not you are bilingual, if you have Spanish-speaking clients, this is the one reference you'll use every day to improve your client communications. Second uh, practice management resource, from the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around the state of Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips on those for those lawyers going through career transitions. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published by the Attorneys in Transition site, and I hope you visit the site and leave your comments at attorneysintransition.com. Finally, the Law Practice Management School offers a webinar series or a simple hands-on desk reference for nuts and bolts instruction on law firm management, marketing, technology, and finance. This is a great resource for new solo practicing attorneys. Email me, nick at alrpra.com, for more information about the Law Practice Management School. Finally, our last commercial sponsor for the day is credit damage expert George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert George Finder is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in this country. Attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. Available nationwide, credit damage expert George Finder is available for consulting on damage to credit reputation. The Credit Damage Expert website is full of resources. You may visit creditdamageexpert.com. Again, that's 
www.creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Now back to our programming, and let us remind our callers, if you have any questions, area code 917-889-9732, option 1 to be placed in the queue. Please also submit your questions through the comment section at our Facebook page. Uh, search under Facebook, under the search tab, search for Law Talk Radio, and drop us a line. Now back to our program. Uh, so here, is there anything that you wanted to highlight that we have not discussed so far in the broadcast? Yes, I wanted to highlight the remarkable role of Egyptian women. And I must say, as, as oh, an Egyptian-American, I am very, very proud of the role that uh, the women have played in Egypt. And I think it is very historic. Uh, it's not that Egyptian women have not been uh, key players in the country, but this is the most visible that they've been, and this is the most equal that they've been at the grassroots and in the trenches. And I think that is going to hopefully translate into more long-term uh, roles within this within the new country that is now forming. And I think that they are what they're doing is trailblazing for the rest of the Arab world and the Muslim world. They're showing that they're willing to sacrifice their lives. They're showing that they all have very different belief systems as far as, or different, I should say, interpretations of their religion and their culture expressed through whether they wear a scarf or a bonnet or nothing on their hair or uh, covered in all black. And, and cover their faces even. And so I think it has really shown how tolerant they are and how determined they are to be at the front, in the trenches, and in the leadership of this revolution that they were not they are not going to get left behind and they are not going to get marginalized. And that is something that truly is historic for the country and for the region. And that's not to say, again, I, I want to emphasize because if you read throughout Egyptian history, women have played significant roles. They just haven't been as visible and they haven't gotten as much credit for it. And there's always been a select few uh, remarkable Egyptian women who have led the feminist movement within the Middle East, but never at this, uh, at this number, never so many of them. And so what I've been seeing on the television and through videos and Facebook has has been very very inspiring and something that I've never seen even in the United States. So I'm very proud of them for taking their place in history and I hope that it will translate into their permanent place at the leadership table in the government and in society and in the economy. So I, I think that's something that is certainly worth recognizing. Professor Aziz, can I ask you again? Uh, you spoke about elections, how the I think middle age generation really um, needs to be in leadership, but that seems to be the, the movement. And it goes, and especially even women, I, I really love everything that you're saying. It, it goes back to, and I, this is a problem in, in many, many countries, my second question, access, visibility. These people may not have the money or the connections or the power. Um, how, how is it that they can, you talked about rural folk, um, who may not have access to TV or radio, or, or would these people who are potential candidates or potential leaders or revolutionaries with a counter message, how, if you had some thoughts, how we help them gain the visibility or access to media to 
become elected. They may not have the money or, or the power or the influence. Well, I think that that's a great question, and there's various components to it. Uh, first, right now they have access because the revolution is in the street. Mm-hmm. So you don't need Internet, you don't need television, and you don't need radio. You just need your feet, and that's what they're doing. And they're voting with their feet, and they're showing their solidarity, and they're participating in the revolution. So at this point, everyone has access because they're protesting in the street. And based on my discussions with many uh, people in in Egypt is that they are not holding their women back. It is not like in some situations where they will tell their mothers and tell their sisters and their daughters, no, you shouldn't go, it's not safe for you. No, everyone is going. One of my friends told me that it has become a family outing. It has become a family project that they go to Tahrir, to the Liberation Square, and protest every day with their children. And as we've seen on television, there's been young children that have been leading chants. So the, at this point, everybody is participating, and there's very little barriers to their participation. I think the point you raise is a good one for the long term, is how do you ensure that is sustainable and that they, they are an integral part of leadership and an integral part of the of the conversation that will lead to reform. And that is going to take, I think, some concerted effort. Uh, to some extent, it, the the poor will ultimately have to rely on the middle class women to ensure that they are included because unless they can somehow overcome the restrictions or limitations that come with poverty in all over the world, then sometimes it, it, it comes from quota systems or it comes from specific rules that require that a certain number of women are involved in a process. And I think from... Our perspective in the United States, I I anticipate when all of this is over that our government will start funneling a lot of aid money into development and into rule of law initiatives and democratic institution building. And so I think that it's important for us to make sure that our money is spent in a way that does equalize the 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 playing field and it ensures that there are women there it ensures there are people who are of lower socioeconomic means that the laborers are uh, accommodated that their needs are are met so I think we have a, a role to play when it hits that phase which hopefully will be sooner rather than later uh, because otherwise our government may uh, not consider that either willfully or or unwillfully because they don't have perhaps the competence or the the consciousness to to do so. So I think you you raise a very good point, and it's something we all have to be conscious of in America and in Egypt and all over the world. This is a problem, but it's just a matter of making sure it's a priority. And, Thank and you. In India, basically, what's happening is we have women's organizations that are traveling to the villages and um, providing information. So there, there is. It's a huge problem in India as well, and and so um, I just wanted your thoughts. Thank you very much for your ideas, Mr. Motes. Did you have any follow-up comments to our discussion? Uh, no, not 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 much. Um, uh, I agree with everything that's being said. Uh, I think it's uh, Egypt is uh, going through a major transition. Um, I was surprised about Mubarak's speech, uh, as it was described as was uh, delusional, but uh, I'm very hopeful and I'm prayerful and I ask everybody to pray for Egypt and, uh, you know, hopefully 
things will get uh, much better. I hope so, too, and I want to thank everyone for participating. Thank you again, Professor Aziz. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you, uh, Attorney Bayana, for your comments as well. Thank you, Nick. Always and a pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners who are tuning into this broadcast, and thank you also to our listeners who share this broadcast. This is such valuable information, and we work very hard to bring you news and stories uh, from those who know the issues the best and are are monitoring what's going on. Uh, Professor Aziz, uh, are you available at all next week for uh, a follow-up broadcast? I hope that you'll be available. Yes, no, I would certainly be interested. I uh I have no idea what will happen next week, but I hope for the best and I hope that it will be I hope that we'll be talking about transition to democracy and and moving on to the next phase that will that will uh create the change that the Egyptians uh, are calling for and deserve. I so hope that things turn out for the best for everyone involved. The entire world is watching this situation unfold. So I thank everyone for their participation. I'd also like to thank uh, not only our listeners for tuning in, but also today's sponsors. First, Marcus Harris of Technology Law Firm of Marcus Stephen Harris. Second, Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. Third, Mary Erlane of Peak Marketing and Sales and LMI Riverside. Fourth, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group and Get Clients Now program. Fifth, Credit damage expert George Finder. A couple upcoming shows we want to let you know about, and you can always visit ALRPRA.com for more information on our broadcast. On Monday, February 14th is Valentine's Day, and we have Melissa Smart coming back from the ARDC uh, to talk about Part 2 of your questions for the Attorney uh, Registration and Disciplinary Commission here in Illinois. And on February 15th, we will have a panel discussion on child custody issues, abduction, post-traumatic stress, and Stockholm Syndrome. These will be explored with domestic relations attorneys and mental health professionals. Uh, Attorney Bayana, you'll be on that program. Can you let us know who else may be on that program quickly? Yes, we have uh, Terry Palmer, who is a psychotherapist, specializing in this area, as well as um, a couple of other left-behind parents uh, whose children have been abducted to foreign nations, and we are in the process of um, inviting other guest panelists in terms of the mental health experts who can speak to this issue. Thank you so much, Melanie Bayana, for your uh, contributions to the international child custody and abduction issues and the mental health issues that are often unexplored and, un and, go, and go without being attended to. So a very important continuation on a series of shows that we've been bringing you on those points. Again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice chart on this show does not constitute legal advice, and the result may vary always based on your facts and location. Communication with the Attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship, and if you need further legal assistance, always consult with an attorney in your area. This program is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to the views expressed on our shows are always welcomed. ALRPRA Incorporated does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. 
Finally, all callers do remain confidential, and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. These Law Talk Radio broadcasts are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With guests and listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. This is Nick Augustine from ALRPRA, and we thank you for your time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.